to the oh my god I can't believe it's actually happening this must be a delusional moment what episode 40 of pennies in the well yes there is still an existence of a podcast thought to be lost through the annals of time and of space moving through I have no idea but welcome to episode 40 I am Violet your host yes Violet not Saturn and I will be taking you on a journey of sound and sound and sound because that's what we have here is sound it is Maybon today, Maybon 2016. Happy Maybon, or Ostara if you're down in the south. Welcome to that feeling of warmth before the winter of, yes, I'm sorry, I'm focusing on Maybon. It's where I live. And we are here at this time of balance. In fact, this time of balance is gonna slip away so fast that by the time you listen to this, it will already be gone and we will be traveling deeper and downward and darker into the deep, rich depths of the winter. Winter, winter. So, it's been, you know, over a year since I've done this and why am I doing this today? Well, it's been on my mind for pretty much most of the last year. Uh, desire has been there, what to say has not been, and I can't say that I really have an idea of what I'm going to talk about today, but when I got up this morning and I pulled one of my stones from my stone, well, currently bowl because, well, story, the stone that I pulled was Maybon, and I had this moment of, I pulled the Maybon stone on Maybon, that is remarkably syn synchronistic, synchronistic, let's go with that, and it just said, well, therefore, you must do a podcast, starting with things about Maybon. So I want to tell you a tale, a tale, if you will, of a little bit of what's been going on for the past year. It has been more than a tad insane, but threaded underneath of and through the tale of our wild hunt from this past weekend. So as you may have noticed from the name change, and I honestly, I'm sorry, I cannot remember if I talked about it before, I probably did, that uh, I'm no longer Saturn in the greater grand world. Why? Because Facebook and name change, reality of required real names and giving up and going, fine, I'm Violet. I'm Violet the Abysmal Witch. It's all good. And in the past year, I've kind of sort of been involved with four businesses as in the running of. And you know that uh, I'm a Pilates instructor and that's what I do full time now. Yay! Farewell corporate world. Farewell academia. Welcome to the land if I get to heal and move people for a living and I am a much happier soul for it. With that, I also started, they're called Abysmal Productions. You can look me up online, abysmalproductions.com if you're curious. And what happened was I wanted to throw the best, absolute best disc party I possibly could for Ostara. So six months ago, and we had a fairy ball. 
That's right, full-on ball, all live music. We had performers of various natures. We did traditional dances. It was epic. We had it uh, in this building that was stilted and on top of a lake, and our view through the entire back wall, which was an entire window, was of the lake. The weather was perfect. It was the best weather that so far had happened this year. It, it could not have been better. It was glorious. And we decided, we being the psychotic me that's in the back of my head, to go ahead and do summer solstice. And with summer solstice, we did a garden party. So out in a park and taking it kind of over and doing the whole fairy thing, and it was awesome. But Maybon, see, those were, those were the two, and we, we've been doing this as a fairy court idea, that so we can get dressed up, we can do our cosplay, we can do creatures of the woods and of the knotwoods, and we can be fairies, and we can get dressed up because these are public events, these are public pagan events, and I wanted them to be as easy and fun as and accessible as possible, and thus fairy-themed for the fun of it, but also for the richness of it, to encourage people to get dressed up and put on their ears and their tails and their wings and to just be a little bit extra magical while they get to have fun. Now, we've also been threading through the idea of the Holly King and the Oak King, that the Oak Prince on Ostara was coronated. He was risen up to being king, and the Holly King stepped down. We're not doing the battle. That's not been our exploration of this. It's been more an exploration of the cycles and how they travel from one to another, and the relationship held deeply between these two kings, the Holly King and the Oak King, the Holly King of the Winter Court of Fairy, um, which is not typically how it's phrased. Just be aware that's kind of a combined thing, if you will, in the play not the play, play as in playful, not play as in theater that we've been doing, and that the Oak King has been the king of the Summer Fairy Court. So at Maybon, it was time once again for a coronation. It was time for our Oak King to step down and for the Holly King to be risen up to full kingness and to therefore open the Winter Court, a way of truly acknowledging that the balance in that moment was shifting from that of the sun being stronger, of daylight being greater, to darkness gaining the upper hand. And not in some weird negative way, just that that is nature and that is the way that we go and the way that we cycle. So we did that. And for those who are local to here may have known that on that weekend, it was pouring rain. It was supposed to pour rain the entire weekend, drenching, downpouring, through every layer of clothing you possibly own that you've put on to try and protect you kind of rain, which we, you know, being in a rainforest, are very, very good at over here in the lower mainland of British Columbia. And what happened? Well, as I was setting up on Saturday, there was drizzles. As people started to arrive, the drizzles were gone. The clouds started to break up when I took the crown off of the Oak King, because queen of changing seasons here, so uh, I have the right, the privilege, and the magic of conveying the sovereignty from one to the other. So I removed the, the crown from the Oak King and the sun came through. It, it didn't just like shine down, it warmed us down. It, it enveloped us in this last huge wrapping loving gift of heat on this supposedly supposed to be downpouring day. And it was beautiful. 
and I took the crown and I, I coronated the Holly King and the wind picked up through the trees and grabbed all these little pieces off the trees and tossed them through the air and whoosh, the wind came over us. Just absolutely timed with the magical energy of that shift. It is heartwarming and spirit thrilling and soul satisfying to feel nature reflecting back to you when you are reflecting into nature what it is that you experience going around on around you. So amazingly worthwhile. So wonderful. Go out and do it if you haven't already done it. Get your feet onto the ground and have yourself a little connecting to the earth moment. There is nothing better than bare feet on the ground, at least for me lately. I've been a little obsessed with this. So this has been um, a journey of the past year of putting on these productions. So that's taken time. I've been doing some crafting, making spritzes and lip balms and soaps of natural natures with my best friend. Uh, check us out on bloomingmad.ca and you can see you can see our stuff, but you can't buy it unless you're local because we're not to a place where we're shipping yet. Uh, that being said, you can check out our still kind of working on it in design website and go, oh, look, crazy lady does other things. And there's um, something else that's totally escaping me right now that I've been doing this past year. And I've been dealing with the whole depression thing. And I found that once the absolute exhaustion of my previous life was starting to fade out, hello, anxiety. What a gift. Thank you, anxiety. Thank you for coming to the party. Thank you for coming in and playing with us. It's really great. So I'm back on Wellbutrin, which has the added bonus of dealing kind of with the depression and the anxiety. Woo! I uh, still haven't recovered my energy, truly. I live in the land of exhausted, so this is something I'm still working out. I got to work with a shaman a little bit for getting some healing, and I'm looking at doing shamanic training, hopefully starting before the year is out, um, still working this stuff out. So as you may guess from all of this, I've been living, living a crazy, hectic, packed life, and... I didn't want to leave you for it, but what I did find, and this is kind of a critical component and something that I put out to the world because it is important. It is something that should be in your radar, the back of your head, the whatever it is that reminds you when a moment hits you that, oh yeah, this is an okay thing. And what that is, is the need to pause, to reflect, to go inside, to be quiet, to sit in silence and Find your, your okayness, and beyond okayness, your comfort and your joy in being in silence and letting that open up to you the inner pathways that you need to find restoration. Restoration is powerful and necessary, and in our go, 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 my God, all the time world, we don't get that peace and that restoration and that healing. It's basically kind of like sleeping for your soul. Sometimes you just got to sleep on it. Sometimes you just have to rest with it. Sometimes you just have to be quiet so that you can gently ruminate and have your seedlings grow inside and, and things do the things that they do inside of you when they're not being plucked at and poked at and looked at constantly. They need that opportunity. We need that opportunity. And that's what I took, was a whole lot of time to let things gestate, if you will, inside of me, and to see what would come out. I would think about podcasting and go, I, I don't have anything to say. 
which is a bit hysterical. I know, all things considered, there's so much that I could cheerfully say pretty much all the time. And I made notes on a regular basis about, oh, yeah, I want to talk about this thing. I want to do this thing. This is a great thing to do on the podcast. And then I'd look at the, po at the computer equipment. I would look at, you know, the microphone and go, hmm, no, I don't have anything to say. Well, apparently, today I do. And this first point is on the power of being silent and sitting with yourself and giving yourself space to integrate everything you've been doing. Because when we work so much and so hard and we're learning and we're exploring and we're trying to find out the deep parts of ourselves and we're trying to do this and we're trying to do that to become better people, those skills, those lessons, those powers, if you will, don't really become a part of us until we get to sit and integrate them. So as a Pilates instructor, I see this really regularly on a physical level that people, because Pilates, if you've ever encountered it, oh my goodness, it is, it is absolutely fabulous for a magical person and a worker. It's about mind-body connection, the gift that it gives you on your ability to focus, but also connect into the physical, which is, of course, where all the magical comes from, is from the physical, realistically, because we're physical beings on a physical planet, and therefore all of our magic comes from this. Anyway, I teach people, and I see, and I experience this, that you learn, and you're finding these movements and, and ways of moving you've never felt before, and muscles that you didn't even know that you had, and that they had a purpose, and they do that? You mean I'm not supposed to use my quads to lift my knee up to that spot? You mean I'm actually supposed to use the muscle that's in the back of my leg? Wait, my low belly is supposed to do more than just cramp when I get menstrual cramps? It's supposed to do more than just kind of hang out and go, hey, how's it going? Mm, let's have some booze. Yes, it does more. And as you discover these things, you're, you're working on them, you're exploring them, and then for whatever reason, there comes, you know, a two-week break or three-week break. Maybe you go on vacation, maybe you're sick and you just don't feel like moving God no matter what. It doesn't matter. For whatever reason, there's a break. And what I have found for myself and with other people is that break starts to solidify and to gel and to integrate, there's that word again, all of that learning into something that's more than just in our head or at the surface level of our body. It allows it to sink in deep into our bones and become part of who we are in our process. So something that you could be struggling with, like you're, you've barely got the idea of it, you've sort of understand it, but you can't quite get there. You can go away and all of a sudden you come back and there it is. It makes sense. Your body has integrated it. And this happens more than just in the physical level. This happens in the magical, the spiritual, the emotional, the mental. We can't pick at it all the time. Sometimes we have to let it rest. And with that resting, the additional layers of us that exist in the quiet, darkened places inside of us have the opportunity to have their integration with it. We are not beings that are awake all the time and living only in the light. We are just like Mabon, living in a constant spiraling cycle of exploration that goes outward and inward, that rises up and falls down, and not in a crashing kind of way, but that flow, that inward, that outward, the yin and the yang expressed as full living all the time, that, that is power, baby. And that's where we need to live, is in that place where we can actually move from one state to the other. So, having spent a very long time going through that state, here I am making commentary about it, and who knows, maybe this will be back online. 
maybe this will be something that happens more regularly now. I hope so. Uh, there's things that I want to do, things that I'm planning on, uh, that, <laughs> that hopefully would actually reintegrate podcasting into my regular life. But we will see, because I hate to make promises I can't keep very much to myself, very much to other people. And I don't know where this is going to go. But for now, for right this moment, hi, everybody. Oh, my God, it's been fucking forever. It is so good to, well, think of you and to, to talk with you. I know it's talking at you, but really, I want it to be with you. I, I like to think that some of that kind of reflects back just through the ether itself. So teeny little break, and then who knows? I don't know what's going to be on the other side of it. But I do know that there's actually going to be more coming up in this podcast. So welcome back to us all. And enjoy whatever the heck's coming next, because I have no idea. Time for a little magical housekeeping. Oddly, this is one of the topics that kept coming up for me when I would go, oh my goodness, I really do want to do an episode and include this little, you know, gem thought with it. Because magical housekeeping has become a remarkably um, significant, I guess you could say, part of my practice at home. Because doing full-out ritual, that's, that's effort. And let me just say, energy has been at a premium Who's going to get my spoon? And if you don't know the theory of spoons, you should check it out because it's actually really cool. But where's my spoon going to go? Where's my energy going to go? I would love to say it was going to go to ritual, but <laughs> too tired. However, adding a little extra something something to when I clean has been really fascinating and beneficial. So today's magical housekeeping thought for you is about making your bed. How do you make your bed? <laughs> okay, not in a truly physical sense. Everybody has their way. And I'm talking about in this case, you could do it in the morning if you're a pull your sheets up, blanket up kind of person to actually quote unquote make a bed. I, I'm that lazy making of bed person in the morning. I just pull the sheet and the, the comforter up so that it has a look of quasi presentable neatness so that when I get into bed at the end of the night, I actually get to like open it up. That being said, uh, that's not what I'm talking about here. And it doesn't matter what your style is. But when we take off those sheets and we, you know, wash them and put on new sheets, when those new sheets go on, there is an opportunity to do a little something, something, a little something extra, a little something magical with it. And if you're the type to get, you know, inclined into the whole land of herbs and stuff, I suppose you could like put herbs underneath of your sheet, but that's not what I'm talking about because from my point of view, that's just a whole nother thing to clean up later. And as you may guess, lazy girl here doesn't want to do the extra cleaning, so heck no. No, what I'm talking about is energetic. What I'm talking about is that you have this opportunity when you make your bed to be present in the moment, to be paying attention to what you are doing and put magical intention and energy into it. So when I make my bed, I have this, what do I need right now? When I sleep, 
What do I need to be lying upon? What do I need to be surrounding me? What is the energy that I want to be supporting me as I travel through times of dreaming and times of deep healing and times of deep restoration? So I pull and start putting the, the fitted sheet on the bottom and what is my base? And I will put that thought, that energy into it. And maybe it's healing. There's been a lot of talk of healing lately. So I have that intention and just a little energy push. Here's my fresh clean sheets. And with that clean, uh, cleanliness or freshness, I'm going to put a gift to myself of healing into it to find deep rest, that my sleep may be as fulfilling as possible. And when I put on the, the top sheet, it may be something a little different or it may be the same. It may be more of the land of that I will find comfort into my rest, that especially if I've been having a lot of nightmares. Okay, I don't think of them as nightmares, but from what I understand, the rest of the world might, that when you're dreaming about zombie apocalypses and people hunting you down and chasing you, that falls in the category of nightmares. Amusingly, I've done that last one often enough that I'm now to the point of, oh, somebody's trying to hunt me down. And, and I kind of amble away. <laughs> I don't even run it anymore. So even in my dreams, I become like, eh, whatever. No energy on any level. It's quite, um, I was going to say, pathetic, but really it's either fascinating or tragic, take your point, or take your view. So when you pull up your top sheet, what are you putting into it? One is supporting you, the other one is covering you, if you're the type to sleep between your sheets. So what does that mean? What kind of energy is in your comforter? When we clean it, we can wipe away all of the energies and all the stuff we've been putting into it, which is really an argument for regularly washing the sheets, is to take away all of that cleansing gunk that we kind of are trying to resolve and deal with while we sleep and give healing to ourselves. So why not give it that extra push? Why not give it that extra little zing so that when we crawl into bed, it's not just a, oh, yeah, bed. It's a, oh, yeah, bed. Bed is good. It's an opportunity. Why the heck not take it, right? So that concludes this little snippet on magical housekeeping. Please stand by. What could this be? What could this segment possibly be on that it has such a big and dramatic entry into talking? It's simply because I don't actually have an intro to this. It was a heck, you know, better to do the podcast and screw the intros than wait on doing an intro before I do a podcast. This little segment is about practical magic. I started doing this last year. Yes, oh yeah, that was the fourth thing that I did, was doing some teaching uh, seminars, workshops type of deal. And it's called my Cats and Candle Practical Magic Series because it doesn't matter what your magical background is. It doesn't matter, honestly, what your religious perspective, your spiritual um, perspective is. Magic is magic, energy working is energy working. There are different ways to approach it, but there's some fundamentals that kind of go across the board. For instance, if you have cats and you use candles, there is the practicality of managing a cat around a candle, especially if you have a pyromaniac cat. Thus began my Cats and Candles Practical Magic series. In this particular one, I want to tell you about this crazy wonderful thing that we've been doing for the last, 
almost two years. Has it really been like two years since I've done a podcast? I wouldn't be surprised, but holy crap. And if you're listening to this now, holy crap, you're patient. Uh, thank you. Thank you for listening. Uh, I really do appreciate it. And, okay, so focusing. I'm focusing. What we've been doing for the last couple of years, it's almost two years, it's December, is what I like to call this ritual has 27 minutes. I have a, an hourglass, and being a non-official hourglass coming from chapters, it has about, let's say, about 27 minutes is the amount of time, roughly speaking, that it will go. And it is affected by temperature, humidity, don't ask me how, and the spirits around it, I have no idea. It is its own time zone, but, you know, approximately 27 minutes. So what we do is when I get people together, that's a whole different topic, and we meet up and the opportunity presents, we do a, this ritual has 27 minutes. We do a quick, what is the topic going to be? Okay, people, what do you want to have there? What, what feels right? Oh, oh, you know, I really think that we need to have keys at this ritual. So I will find some keys and I will put them on because I have magical keys because, hello, I work with Hecate. And someone else will feel that um, maybe rose oil is really feels right, or uh, could we have runes added, or what have you, especially if there's a particular topic such as Hikate. Then we would go down the keys road and the lantern road and whatever else felt appropriate. When we had all the things gathered, we flip the, the hourglass, the 27 minutes begin, and so does ritual. So we go through it, and we have until the hourglass is done to finish our ritual. Now, honestly, most rituals, unless you're getting, like, really big and epic and you have 30 people present, actually go relatively fast. There isn't a need to do ritual for, you know, two hours ago unless you're really deep into doing intense, long ritual for two hours at a go. Instead, most of the time, just going into the ritual space in a relatively hmm, speedy, you know, you, you, I don't want to say speedy. I want to say that you're getting into ritual space in an efficient way. You're not doing really big, complicated. You're just getting into it in whatever way floats your boat. And sometimes we do it Wiccan. Sometimes we do it other ways. It doesn't really matter. What the point is, is that from the turning of that hourglass, we are engaged in the process of ritual. If we finish the quote-unquote meat of the ritual before the hourglass is up, then we sit and we talk about the ritual and our experiences of it, and we share, and we know that we are in ritual space until those last grains of sand fall through the hourglass, which is also a really nice way to take down ritual, I have to say, because it's now built into the hourglass, that instead of needing to take everything down in a, a conscientious, patterned way, the pattern is set into the hourglass, making it really nice, really efficient, really fast, oh, the sands go down, poof, ritual is done, concluded, the energy is settled uh, as in a way that I find appropriate, given that we're doing this in my house, I have it set in a way that makes my house feel really good afterwards. No extra cleanup required, at least so far. I could see doing something particularly funky and needing to do that, but typically if you're doing something extra funny, you're not going to have an arbitrary time limit on it that suddenly snaps you out of ritual because... If you're doing something big and crazy and wonderful, you don't want to 
find yourself out of ritual just because that meditation that you are going through or that journeying, particularly the journeying that you're doing this wonderful trip and suddenly, oh, sorry, it's over. Uh, too bad. Anyway, so that is what we've been doing. It is a wonderful way to kind of encourage yourself. It's only going to be about 27 minutes. 27 minutes isn't that long. Finding half an hour to do ritual, pretty easy. If you've got your stuff already to hand, you can make, like, within the room, you could actually start the hourglass if you had one. You start it, or your timer, and then you gather your stuff, you cast your circle, you do your thing, and you let it run out. It was a nice way of encouraging ritual and well, being Canadian, it has a little extra joke behind it, being this ritual has 27 minutes. It is just another way to get into that magical space, to doing something. It's also been a really lovely way of exploring ritual in a group setting where everyone gets to contribute, and it's non-formulized. So we're doing whatever the heck comes to mind, which allows me to just go wackadoodle crazy in approaches. And sometimes it's not me doing the leading and the wackadoodle crazy. Sometimes I get other people to do it because the topic at hand cries out, oh, this person here, they have background, they have history, they have experience, and they can bring us a great gift to this magical experience. Hey, would you mind doing that for us? And so far, everybody has. So that is a little practical magic for you. Getting practical with your magic of going and not making it big, not making it huge and impossible to get into. You could even have a little, you know, egged one of those, I guess, egg timer, five minute kind of deal and do something small and easy and you have this little marker to kind of keep track of and to allow you to come out of that ritual space really fast and easy. So this was a really fun kind of exploration that we have going and I put it forward and out to you as a way to, yeah, just another, another thought. Sometimes we just need additional ritual thought. And this concludes the Cats and Candles Practical Magic component of this episode 40. Oh my God, 40. We're finally here. Who'd have thought we'd hit 40? Oh, five years ago, but that's a different story. And moving on to something else. We'll see you shortly. The Wake World, Part 2. I was telling you how we started from the Green Palace. There are three passages that lead to the Treasure House of Gold, and all of them are very dreadful. One is called Terror by Night, and another the Arrow by Day, and the third has a name that people are afraid to hear, so I won't say. But in the first, we came to a mighty throne of gray granite, shaped like the sweetest pussycat you ever saw, and set up on a desolate heath. It was midnight, and the devil came down and sat in the midst. But my fairy prince whispered, Hush, it is a great secret, but his name is Yeheswa, and he is the savior of the world. And that was very funny, because the girl next to me thought it was Jesus Christ, till another fairy prince my prince's brother, whispered as he kissed her, Hush, tell nobody ever that is Satan, and he is the savior of the world. We were a very great company, and I can't tell you of all the strange things we did and said, or of the song we sang as we danced face outwards in a great circle, ever closing in on the devil on the throne. 
But whenever I saw a toad or a bat or some horrid insect, my fairy prince always whispered, it is the savior of the world. And I saw that it was so. We did all the most beautiful, wicked things you can imagine, and yet all the time knew they were good and right and must be done if ever we were to get to the house of gold. So we enjoyed ourselves very much and ate the most extraordinary supper you can think of. There were babies roasted whole and stuffed with pork sausages and olives. And some of the girls cut off chops and steaks from their own bodies and gave them to a beautiful white cook at a silver grill that was lighted with the gas of dead bodies and marshes. And he cooked them splendidly, and we all enjoyed it immensely. Then there was a tame goat and a gold collar that went about laughing with everyone, and he was all shaved in patches like a poodle. We kissed him and petted him, and it was lovely. You must remember that I never let go of my fairy prince for a single instant, or of course I should have been turned into a horrid black toad. Then there was another passage called The Arrow by Day, and there was a most lovely lady, all shining with the sun and moon and stars, who was lighting a great bowl of water with one hand by dropping dew on it out of a cup. And with the other, she was putting out a terrible fire with a torch. She had a red lion and a white eagle that she had always had ever since she was a little girl. She had found them in a nasty pit full of all kinds of nasty filth, and they were very savage. But by always treating them kindly, they had grown up faithful and good. This should be a lesson to all of us never to be unkind to our pets. My fairy prince was laughing all the time in the third path. There was nobody there but an old gentleman who had put on his bones outside and was trying ever so hard to cut down the grass with a scythe. But the faster he cut it, the faster it grew. My fairy prince said, Everybody that has ever was has come along this path, and yet only one ever got to the end of it. But I saw a lot of people walking straight through as if they knew it quite well. He explained, though, that they were really only one, and if you walked through, that proved it. I thought that was silly, but he's much older and wiser than I am, so I said nothing. The truth is that it is very hard palace to talk about. And the farther you get in, the harder it is to say what you mean because it all has to be put into dream talk as, of course, the language of the wake world is silence. So, never mind. Let me go on. We came by and by to the sixth house. I forgot to say that all of those three paths were really one because they all meant that things were different inside to outside and so people couldn't judge. It was fearfully interesting, but mind you, you don't go in those passages without the fairy prince. And of course, there's the veil. I don't think I'd better tell you about the veil. I'll only put your mouth to my head and your hand there. That'll tell anybody who knows that I've really been there and that it's all true that I'm telling you. The sixth house is called the Treasure House of Gold. It's a most mysterious place as ever you were in. First, there's a tiny, tiny, tiny doorway you must crawl through on your hands and knees, and even when I scraped ever such a lot of skin off my back. Then you have to be nailed on a red board with four arms with a great gold circle in the middle, and that hurts you dreadfully. 
Then they make you swear the most solemn things you ever heard of, how you would be faithful to the fairy prince and live for nothing but to know him better and better. And so the nails stopped hurting because, of course, I saw that I was really being married and this was part of it. And I was as glad as glad. And at that moment, my fairy prince put his hand on my head and I tell you, honor bright, it was more wake-up than ever before, even than when he used to kiss me. And after that, they said I could go into the bride chamber, but it was only the most curious room that ever was with seven sides. There was a dreadful red dragon on the floor, and all the sides were painted every color you can think of with curious figures and pictures. The light was not like dream light at all. It was wake light, and it came through a beautiful rose in the ceiling. In the middle was a table all covered with beautiful pictures and texts, and there were ever such strange things on it. There was a little crucifix in the middle, all of diamonds and emeralds and rubies and other precious stones, and there was a dagger with a golden handle and a cup of the most delicious mm, wine. And there was a curious coin with the strangest writing on it. A and a funny little stick that was covered with flames like a rose tree is with roses. Beside the strange coin was a heavy iron chain. And I took it and put it around my neck because I was bound to my fairy prince. And I would never go about like other people till I found him again. And they took the dagger and dipped it in the cup and stabbed me all over to show that I was not afraid to be hurt if only I could find my fairy prince. Then I took the crucifix and held it up to make more light in case he was somewhere in the dark corners, but no! Yet I knew he was there somewhere, so I thought he must be in the box, for under the table was a great chest. And I was terribly sad because I felt something dreadful was going to happen. And sure enough, when I had the courage, I asked them to open the box. And the same people that made me crawl through that horrid hole and lost my fairy prince and nailed me to the red board, took away the table and opened the box. And there was my fairy prince, quite, quite dead. If you only knew how sorry I felt. But I had with me a walking stick with wings and a shining sun on the top that had been his, and I touched him on the breast to try and wake him, but it was no good. Only I seemed to hear his voice saying wonderful things, and it was quite certain he wasn't really dead. So I put the walking stick on his breast, and another little thing he had which I had forgotten to tell you about. It was a kind of cross with an oval handle that he had been very fond of. But I, I couldn't go away without something of his, so I took his shepherd's staff and a little whip with blood on it and jewels oozing from the blood, if you know what I mean, that they had put in his hands when they buried him. Then I went away and cried and cried and cried. But before I got very far, they called me back, and the people who had been so stern were smiling, and I saw they had taken the coffin out of the little room with seven sides, and the coffin was quite, quite empty. Then they began to tell us all about it, and I heard my fairy prince within the little room saying holy, exalted things, such as the stars trace in the sky as they travel in the car called millions of years." 
Then they took me into the little room, and there was my fairy prince standing in the middle. So I knelt down, and we all kissed his beautiful feet, and the myriads of eyes like diamonds that were hidden in his feet laughed joy at us. One couldn't lift one's head, for he was too glorious to behold. But he spoke beautiful words like dying nightingales that have sorrowed for the fading of roses and pressed themselves to death upon the thorns. And one's whole body became a single eye, so that one saw as if the unborn thought of light brooded over an eternal sea. Then there was light as the lightning flaming out of the east, even unto the west, and it was fashioned as the swiftness of a sword. By and by, one rose up. Then one seemed to be quite, quite dead and buried in the center of a pyramid of the most brilliant light it is possible to think of. And it was with the wake light, too. And everybody knows that even wake darkness is really brighter than the dream light. So you might just guess what it was like. There was more than that, too. I can't possibly tell you. I know, too, what INRI on the ring meant. And I can't tell you that either, because the dream language has such a lot of important words missing. It's a very silly language, I think. By and by, I came to myself a little, and now I was really and truly married to the fairy prince. So I suppose we shall always be near each other now. There was the way out of the little room with millions of changing colors, ever so beautiful, and it was lined with armed men, waving their swords for joy like flashes of lightning, and all about us glittering serpents danced and sang for joy. There was a winged horse ready for us when we came out on the slopes of the mountain. You see, the sixth house is really in a mountain called Mount Abignus. Only one doesn't see it because one goes through indoors all the way. There's one house you have to go outdoors to get to because no passage has ever been made. But I'll tell you about that afterwards. It's the third house. So we got on the horse and went away for our honeymoon. I shan't tell you a single word about the honeymoon. Explicit Capitulum Secundum Vel de Collegio and SS Porta Collegio 3 Interni. And that concludes part two of The Wake World with, of course, my failed Latin at the end. And this also concludes episode 40 of Pennies in the Well. I hope that you have a most joyous and favorable Maybon or whatever Sabbath festival celebration you are at when you listen to this. May we all walk into the future with hope and glory. Blessings of the dark and wild to you. Blessed be.